Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Thank you so much, Brent, uh, for providing our special music today, and as always, Harrison, we appreciate you. I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor here. It's good to worship with you today as we have folks taking us up on uh, very safely done some in-person worship. There's a, 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 a much, uh, many more people worshiping live out under the pergola right now. I enjoyed the first couple of worship songs with them. They sang very quietly uh, because they could hear each other. Uh, and some of you are at home worship gatherings with people who are sort of your shelter group. Well done with that because we need to be together. And many of you, it's going to be right for you to worship uh, at home uh, until further notice. And we're also looking forward to next Sunday nights. Uh, we're going to do that once a month, evening outdoor worship uh, with communion. So last week we started our series, uh, Back to Life. And we prayed the serenity prayer. Like we entrusted to God things that... We as individuals cannot change, like the state of the pandemic. And we ask God for the courage to change the things we can change. And to get back to paying attention to certain parts of our lives that need attention, even during a pandemic. Parts of our lives that are under our control. So, why do, why do we just now slow jam Cindy Lauper's 80s song, uh, Time After Time? Well, because today we're focused on getting back to life in marriages. We're just going to be super specific about that. Uh, being there for one another time after time, including this time. Married folks, will you remember this time is a time that you got back to more of life in your marriage and not less? But number two, we sang that because, hey, the lyrics from the 80s of that tune have stood the test of time. If you're lost, if you fall, uh, I, I'm here. And so can we be here for one another in a pandemic? Uh, but wait, Pastor Mike, some of you are like, I thought this series, this was Angie yesterday, Wait, Pastor Husband Mike, I thought this series was about Nehemiah. Yes, you paid attention. Good job, honey. Thank you for paying attention last Sunday. Uh, in chapter 1 of the Old Testament, even though you have to listen to me talk all the time. In chapter 1 of the Old Testament book of the Bible named Nehemiah, we saw that God's people, the Israelites, were in a situation like ours. Bad stuff happening, and it wasn't their fault, and the pandemic isn't your fault. But they had to live with it just like we do. And we saw how Nehemiah grieved what, what was lost due to the ruination of his people and his city. And then we saw him do a few things to start getting back to life. And if you missed that sermon, I hope you'll go online and catch up this week. So Nehemiah, he mourned what he was lost. We're mourning a different fall, school, work, relationships. We're mourning what we've lost, right? Uh, but then he, made, he got up and he made a big ask of the king of Babylon. Because although Nehemiah was a servant, if not even a slave, in exile in Babylon, he was known to the king. And he said, king, would you let me return to Jerusalem from being here in exile? And, 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 and would you give me resources to rebuild the city? <laughs> the king said yes. God showed Nehemiah favor. Like, it's good to go ask. Uh, and so now Nehemiah can really take action and get back to life, even in a bad situation like you and me. Here's what he did next. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. 
I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. What my God had put in my heart to do. Would you repeat that phrase with me? What my God had put in my heart to do. I hope you're listening to God, the Holy Spirit, and what he puts in your heart to do today, just like Nehemiah. Um, For Jerusalem, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. They had a dung gate. Um, That's an interesting word for a street. Uh, Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on to the fountain gate, the king's pool. But there wasn't enough room for my horse to get through, or whatever, camel. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Because it smelled better than the dung gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. The gracious hand of my God on me. Would you repeat that with me? The gracious hand of my God on me. God's gracious hand is reaching out toward you this morning. Will you receive the gracious hand of your God on you? Uh, They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So... In order to get back to his city and his people back to life, Nehemiah quietly conducted an inspection. What's broken down? What's been put on pause during this time of difficulty? What has gotten worse? What needs attention? And the pastor of all the family of Lake Forest churches, the pastors, we put our heads together and we conducted a Nehemiah inspection. And we've chosen several areas of our life for this next month that are definitely in need of rebuilding and more back to life. And there are areas of our life where we can control our part in it, whether it gets better or worse, even during a global pandemic. So today's pandemic pressure point, (laughs) say that three times fast, today's pandemic pressure point is marriage. I've officiated two weddings during the pandemic. I have two more in the next few weeks, and I'm officiating a renewal of vows from dear friends six weeks from now. Interesting, also, I'm spending more time than, than ever in my normal work week. I've set aside more time than normal to just meet with you, the people of Lake Forest and your friends, about your life issues. And that's my honor and privilege. But, but about half of that pastoral counseling time, those appointments during the pandemic, a higher percent than normal, have been about marriage. So it's on my mind. It's on your mind. And I'm talking about it today because research shows that during natural disasters like a pandemic, marital stress goes up, divorce rates go up. And that's not good because already, I'll put this on screen, half of all marriages today end in divorce. And even more sad to me is there's no difference between professing Christians and others in that statistic. But I do want to tell you something encouraging, and this may be the only thing you need to hear today. More nuanced research has been done, and there's something you can control in your marriage. Uh, According to Tim Keller, citing a study, there is a much lower divorce rate for Christians who practice three things. 
One, regular church attendance. Two, consistent involvement in Christian community. We've talked about that a lot here. And three, practicing the faith at home. Like practicing the faith at home, that means like everyday stuff like pray with your spouse every now and then, pray over big decisions, talk about God's will for your life with your kids, praise God for small things when you're at home. Like, hey, kids, who's going to thank and praise God for the pandemic puppy that's brought such joy into our lives? Who's praising God for that today? That's like talking about your faith when you're at home. Because of the divorce rate, there's growing pessimism, pessimism about marriage among younger adults. They believe the chances of having a good marriage are pretty slim. Why? Because they've watched their parents and assume that most marriages are unhappy. 50% end in divorce. The other 50% must be miserable, they assume. And that's one reason why a large percentage of young adults choose to live with one another before marriage in our society today. Thinking it will help them succeed better in their long-term marriage decision. Interesting, statistics show the opposite. The couples who cohabitate prior to marriage have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. That, that's just a fact by the American Psychological Association. So if marriage is in trouble, should we just do away with it? Like with the whole institution of marriage, there are people proposing that today. Well, no, and one reason we can't do away with the institution of, med- of marriage is how much we all like weddings. <laughs> weddings are awesome. We, we need stuff like that today, like, uh, uh, like this one. Uh, Aaron and Rachel, I officiated their relatively distance ceremony uh, August 2nd. They're, they're such a cute couple in Statesville. Uh, and this week, we celebrated the one-year anniversary of officiating my son Austin's wedding a year ago that added precious Nicole as a daughter to my family. So now I can give girl examples, not just boy examples. Uh, Now, there are parts of my job that are difficult, demanding, and burdensome. But giving an assist to hundreds of weddings through my career, all joy. Except for that one time, I was an hour late to one. Uh, That's a story for another time. (laughs) All the mothers of the brides in the congregation are just like, I don't know if I can trust that man anymore. Uh, late an hour to a wedding as the pastor. Uh, I, I need to save that story. Um, the Bible says, unlike uh, in other institutions in society, marriage was invented by God. It has a divine origin. That's why it has a grasp on our hearts. That's why a majority of our church watching right now are, are married people. And, and statistics are that 90% of you singles today will marry at some point in your life, including those of you in your teens and your 20s. Uh, at least half of our tech crew today, by the way, are, uh, are teenagers in our remix group. And uh, 90% of you will someday get married, so pay attention, Poppin', okay? Pay attention over there. Uh, this is for you, man. Um, okay. Uh, some people are called to singleness. Jesus himself was single. It's a great, high, beautiful calling, but most of us will marry at some point. And so we need God's word to speak into this part of our life. So what does God say about marriage? And what might be most helpful in this pandemic time? Well, there are a lot of things that we could say, but since we follow Jesus as our Lord, our leader, our God, and our friend, look with me at what something brief that Jesus teaches about marriage in Matthew 19. I'm only going to cover a few verses here. Matthew 19, verse 3. Would you stand out in the pergola, home worship? I'm talking to you. Stand up in your house 
And those of you in the room, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word here? Why don't we read it aloud together? Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to make a couple of just really big E on the I chart points out of Jesus' teaching and hopefully give some very practical ways to play them out. Uh, Our view of love and marriage is often more shaped by culture than the Bible. It's why we need to go back to Jesus and Genesis often. And what Jesus gives us here is God's definition of marriage. And Jesus is affirming and mostly quoting the Old Testament as God's word. And he's basically quoting the book of Genesis. And he says, what makes a marriage is a man and a woman cleave to each other. And the meaning of cleave in that culture, this is a version of a word for making a covenant. To make a public vow before God and family and friends where you're promising to do something in the future. You're not really promising love in the present moment, but in the future. So in a wedding ceremony, and and for my friends, we'll we'll be celebrating uh, Labor Day. Looking forward to that. In that moment, you're not um, so much promising your present love. Oh, I love you so much right now. I just feel it. Can you see how much I feel it? That's not what the vows are about. You're promising future love. You're promising your future commitment to another in this way. And for married couples during a pandemic, marriages are under stress and tension. That is a fact, and I'm a witness to it weekly when I talk to many of you. The health or lack of health in your marriage right now, whether it's growing or whether it's diminishing, is something you can control your side of during a pandemic. And so I want to talk about two fundamental actionable principles from Jesus. Number one, Jesus teaches commitment is the beating heart of marriage, not feelings. And and listen, I want husbands and wives for just a moment to to listen to the Holy Spirit as we're talking. What what commitment to love your husband or wife in a very specific servant-oriented way, in a way they need right now, what commitment is God whispering to you? Nehemiah said God put in his heart something to do in a difficult time. What is God putting in your heart to bring more of life to your marriage, even now? When I officiate a wedding, oftentimes today, couples want to write their own vows. And I'm cool with that, but I gently, kind of firmly insist that I'm going to ratify it at the end with the tried and true traditional vows in addition. Because when they write their own vows, it's cute, you know, you complete me, you crack me up, you know, stuff like that. And it's kind of cute. But true love goes far beyond that. Where the, true love goes where the rest of our lives will be lived. And so, the, so I add on the tried and true vows like be faithful in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, richer or poorer. No matter how you change, no matter how I change, no matter how life changes, that, that's no matter what is my commitment. In sickness and in health, for instance, you could translate that and be like, that means even if you have a stroke and I have to change your diapers for decades. I don't say that at a wedding. It's kind of a buzzkill. <laughs> but, 
That's the nature of committed love. And most of us have seen beautiful examples of that, of older adults in our family, how no matter what, they love in action, not feelings. When the Bible talks about love, it's a commitment, it's an action, it's not a feeling. Modern culture thinks of love kind of like a virus, actually. You catch it, and it's really strong on you, and then it sort of fades away, and you're like, okay, well, that love is gone. That ain't love. That's puppy love. It's immature. And there are people who go through cycles of puppy love, puppy love, puppy love over and over. Another way our culture defines love is not just feelings, but fulfillment, personal fulfillment. Have my own needs met. And we measure love by how is the other person meeting my needs? How good have they been lately for me? Uh, some years ago, Brad Pitt went on the Oprah show. And this it turned out to just be a few months before he and Jennifer Aniston broke up. I didn't see this on the Oprah show. I, I just heard about it. I, don't, I didn't watch Oprah. But Mitch did, and he told me about this. Uh, he watched all the time. I mean, he just did. Uh, and, and, and so Brad... <laughs> Uh, Brad Pitt shared his view of marriage that day. Not to bag on him. He's a good dude, um, uh, as far as I know. Basically, he said this. I think marriage is an archaic institution as a long-term commitment. It needs to go away. We change and evolve as persons. I'm not the person today who I'll be 10 years from now. And so Jennifer and I agreed that if we were different people 10 years from now and not meeting each other's needs, we should just move on to a, different, a new life, which is what they did a few months later. Right? That's about marriage is about my needs, personal fulfillment for me. And everybody in the cloud, uh, the crowd with Oprah that day clapped. Except for Mitch, he didn't clap. Give him credit for that, at least. The Bible defines love by how much we're willing to give and serve another person. The Bible def defines love as how much we're willing to love and serve the other person. That's something every married person can do right now and every day. Love and serve the other person in th the smallest ways actually matter the most because they build up to a fabric of trust and care over time. Don't wait for the big moment, the heroic moment, because you don't get to those if you're not loving and serving in the small details of life daily. If you're married right now, uh, like that's because... Like, I swore to God and everybody that day. I swore to my mama and my grandmama. I went, remember where they were sitting in my wedding, and I swore to be the highest human blessing to my spouse. Every day. And so if you're married right now, you and I can't control the pandemic. We cannot control the government. But we can control how doggedly you and I serve your spouse during the pandemic. Not because they made you feel good recently, but because it's the commitment that you made. And you accepted this high calling from God. It's a dignifying joy to willfully choose to serve your spouse in the small things. Particularly stuff you don't want to do. Promises made and kept make you who you are. An oath keeper. You are the summation of the promises you've made and kept. Tim Keller writes this about another study. The studies reveal that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy if they stay married for five years. Some of you need to screenshot this one. What can keep a marriage going through the tough times, the rough patches? The vows, the public oath. They keep you tied to the mast of the ship during the storm. They keep you in the relationship when feelings flag. Because they will, at times, 
the feelings maybe flagging right now. Like feelings uh, in a marriage, if we're just run by feeling, how we're feeling, and that dictates how much we love and serve sacrificially the other, that, that's a cultural view of marriage. It's not a biblical view. Because feelings go up and down like a roller coaster in a marriage. Early on, when you're just, you're, you're, like, I remember when Angie Insinius first started holding my hand on the college campus in front of other people. I was like tingly and like, she likes me. I couldn't think about anything. I'd be tripping over stuff. I couldn't think of anything. Like, she, the feelings were just through the roof. Today, when she holds my hand, I, I feel connected to her. I'm warm, but I can now today actually do a math problem in my head while holding Angie's hand. The feelings, the feelings are just a little different. And so, so it's not do I love when, when I feel connected. It's, it's the future promise that I made. On the other hand, consumer relationships do not last. They cannot weather the inevitable storms of life because neither person is tied to the mast. Spouses say that in that study where two-thirds of marriages that were in trouble and, and if they just stayed together for five years, they were a happy marriage, they say they got better not because they resolved all their problems, but they stubbornly outlasted their problems. It's true. And, and right now, I have in mind the faces of two different couple friends of mine. They will forever be the face of this principle for me. I admire them so much. I sat for hours with these two couples, and they each faced imminent divorce. And they weren't small issues and problems, a lot of deep hurt. And now over a decade later, they outlasted those problems, and they're each in a sweet time of love with each other. They happen to each be in empty nesthood. They, and they have their family, their, their, their marriage, and their finances intact. That's no small thing. And they're happy. Because they chose act committed actions of love and service. They chose committed actions of a huge heaping of humility about their own sin. Huge heaping of forgiveness for the other's sin over a long period of time. Over and over and over. And have recreated their marriage. And they're happy. That's love. And that's the value of a commitment. A covenant. So are you having a hard time in your marriage right now? More tensions than normal? Well, that's normal in a pandemic. There's nothing wrong with you. There's some extra tensions. We're all under extra stress right now. That's life and marriage in a fallen world. But here are a few thoughts from me on how to honor the commitment of marriage today. Super practical. Number one, ask your spouse to discuss the state of your union. When we were newlyweds, Angie and I had a monthly state of our union date that somebody told us we should do. And we just talk about how's it, how's it going? Like, what's working for you right now, baby? What's not working? Husbands and wives dare to ask that question. That is a way to be a committed husband or wife right now. What's working for you? What's not working for you? And then let each spouse pick one of the things not working for them and, and propose to read a book about it or do something about it. Uh, uh, a way that Angie and I have agreed to work on the state of our union during the pandemic is to love each other over and above by upping our basic manners toward one another. Like we've talked about this, uh, like politeness. We share the same house all day. We bump butts in our tiny little kitchen. 
I'm always loud. She's super particular about some stuff. It, like, we get on each other's nerves. And so we're serving each other. We're choosing in the power of the Holy Spirit to go above and beyond with basic courtesies. Like, here was one, thank you for doing the laundry. Like, even though you've done it every week for 32 years, it's a super polite and builds and serves to say thank you. Thank you for taking the trash out and bringing the bins in again. Thank you. Here, you go first down the stairs. I'll make the bed today. Like those small things repeated multiple times has more formative power. The younger you are in marriage, the less you know that the formative power of small actions of civility and courtesy can bind your spouse to you in ways you, you cannot imagine. Just practice. call me a liar if you do this for a month and it doesn't actually change the temperature in the room. I promise you, it will. Number two, make an appointment with me, Cammy, Mitch, or Jeff, our ministers here at Lake Forest Huntersville. We specialize in having a confidential conversation, helping name and diagnose what may be causing tension in your marriage, and recommending a plan for healing, often involved, involving connecting with a trusted counselor. I had two sessions like that just this past week doing exactly this. And listen, there are some, some of you are just, hey, this is good. You know, I'd like for our marriage to get a little bit better. But I do know that some of you worshiping today are in great pain and stress and disillusionment in your marriage right now. You're super disappointed. I'm sorry. But will you do like Nehemiah? He inspected what was broken, and he grieved it. He named it. He didn't just stuff it. And then he recruited allies to do something about it. And he made an actual plan. This isn't just airy-fairy stuff in your head. He made a daggum plan. And then he did it. <laughs> and so if this is you, um, if all you do is inspect what's wrong and live in the sorrow of that, you need to recruit an ally or two and make a plan. Otherwise, it's going to stay that way. It's biblical to seek outside help in your marriage. Proverbs says wisdom is found in many counselors. And if you are unwilling... At the, if the, your spouse has invited you to discuss the problems in your marriage or to go to someone as an ally for help, and if you are unwilling to do that, you are actively sinning against your spouse. I cannot say that more strongly and directly. Please repent. And like Nehemiah, find an ally or two, make a plan. Love to help you with that. Number three, follow and participate in Lake Forest Marriage ministry on Facebook. We've, uh, monthly Marriage Matters resumes in September. So like right now, take out your phone, which you're already texting people on and you've tuned me out long ago. Take out your phone and if you're married and join the, the, the Lake Forest Marriage Ministry Facebook page and it'll just suck you right in because it's awesome stuff. Monthly Marriage Matters in September. Weekly couples conversation questions on Facebook. Uh, and you can email if you want a marriage mentor. So Jesus shows us the, the commitment that marriage is commitment, and I just talked about some practical ways to act out my commitment to future actions of love. But the second and, and only other point I want to add to you this morning is Jesus teaches not only co commitment of a marriage, but the priority of marriage. He says, we leave our father and mother, cleave to our spouse. And Jesus is telling you married people that your marriage should take priority over every other relationship in your life except for God. 
And after 22 years of being friend and pastor to thousands of people in our surrounding zip codes here, when I do what Nehemiah did, when I walk around and take an inventory of where do marriages in North Charlotte need to get back to life, my experiential answer is this. The number one way Lake Norman marriages violate the priority principle of marriage without even knowing it is a child-centered home and marriage. Nobody says it. And their motivation is good, although sometimes the motivation is active avoidance of dealing with the marriage. But many of us do this. Elevate parenting above marriage-ing. Children take up a lot of time and energy, especially the younger that they are. I talked with a young couple here at Lake Forest who has three under the age of five yesterday. And they're struggling to make online worship work. But when your children become the center of a marriage and, and, and then they leave home, the marriage collapses. Although long before then, it became dull and drudgery. So let me say it plainly. If you've put the kid in the corner office of your home, you need to demote the children. (laughs) They're not supposed to be CEO. They are employees. They are clients, whatever you want to call them, but they ain't the CEO. The parent or the parents are. So you can't fire your kids, but demote them. If they're in the corner office of your home and your family. Angie and I rated a lot of parenting books, Christian and and otherwise, uh, when our sons were little. We never bought into one single parenting philosophy, but we took something from each book that we read. But one of the most important things we took from one Christian parenting book, and I'm not going to tell you the title of it because the rest of the book was all judgy and fundamentalist, and I don't want you reading that stuff. Uh, But, so I'm I'm saving you ten bucks, okay? Uh, here was the principle that guided us in the priority of marriage. Here it is. Your child is a welcome addition to the family, not the center of it. Your child is a welcome addition to the family, not the center of it. Your marriage is designed by God to be the center of the home, not your parenting. And the best thing you can do for your kids is invest in loving, serving, respecting, forgiving, and romancing your spouse. It's good for them in the long haul if you two stay connected. And psychologists confirm what most married people know from experience, that if everything in life is going good and your marriage is bad, you're, you're unhappy. If everything in life is going bad but your marriage is fairly solid and stable, you still can be a contented person. This is God's institution. It has power over our lives. And it's why we want to lean into the commitment and the priority of marriage. We have to learn to confess sin, ask for forgiveness, solve our problems in our marriage. It's worth it. Because God's design is that your marriage be an instrument of sanctification and satisfaction in your life. This is something that is in each of our control during a pandemic, our side of this equation. So lean into the Holy Spirit and have the courage to pursue more life in your marriage now. Now, to finish, I want to be as as hands-on practical as I possibly can to help you add more life to your marriage in a pandemic. And this is the most practical thing that I can offer you today. The number one way to reset the priority of the marriage is to do things together that give you both life. Oh, Mike, don't make me do something hard. God just wants me to do hard things. This is a fun thing. 
And the way God designed you, research shows. Okay, listen. I don't have time to put all the statistics up on it. But, okay, here's some stuff that makes marriage work. Communication skills, conflict resolution skills, you pray together, you share your faith, stuff like that. A factor that research shows has twice as much power to add health and life to your marriage is doing fun stuff together that gives you both life. And so, husbands, I'm just going to go ahead and give you an assignment today. I'm going to delegate. <laughs> I'm going to suggest you go first. You take it, because this is easy. You don't have to talk about your family system and forgiveness. I mean, you're going to have to do that sometime. You just say, baby, let's go do something fun. Pick something. What was something in your past or your present that gives both of you life? Concert. Well, sorry, can't do that. Uh, (laughs) Tailgating. No, you can't do that. (laughs) Pick something. For Angie and I, that's been hiking uh, this spring and summer. This is a cheat code. I'm not. Come back and call me a liar three months from now. This is a cheat code before you even start working on that other stuff. If out of the commitment of being married, you prioritize the health of the marriage over the children and you do some fun stuff. You think, I think we could all actually do that. This is, that's not rocket science or high theology. It's how God made us. And that's power in your hands. Baby, let's go do something fun. That's your way to apply God's word if you're married. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent of adult kids who are married, if you're a single friend to married people, you can activate this principle by, hey, I got the kids next Saturday. Whatever it is, you'll get blessed too. But this is how you can activate this. You can honor marriage, as the book of Hebrews says, and keep the marriage bed pure. You can do that for your friends. The bottom line, according to God's word, is when you love, you give. Why? Because Jesus says God is love, and the Gospels tell us God's fundamental posture toward us is giving. So this is the word grace. For God so loved the world and you, he gave us his only son, Jesus. We're not alone in this. And so Jesus, God became man. And his sacrificial death on the cross atoned for our sins and allows, and because you've received his forgiveness, you have the power of his Holy Spirit to forgive your spouse and be humble about your own sin and go, yeah, I did that. It was wrong. Please forgive me. A Christian of all people should be used to saying that. Not, well, you shouldn't be so offended. And because Jesus rose from the dead to new life, he gives you and I his new life resurrection power. To make it even easier if you lean into the Holy Spirit to do hard obedience to God in ways like, hey, baby, let's go do something fun together. (laughs) I love it that that's our way of obeying God and playing out our commitment to our spouse or to our friends' marriages and prioritizing that we can get back to more of life in our marriages even during a pandemic. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... Thank you that Nehemiah, even in the midst of doing like work and stuff and inspecting gates, he said he felt the gracious hand of God on him as he sought to get back to life. Lord, you know where each of us needs your gracious hand on our life. For those of us who are married, right now we tell you where we need your gracious hand on our marriage and on our actions 
of commitment through love and service and a prioritization of the relationship in any ways we have been putting it in the back seat. Lord, we're telling you now where we need your hand of grace, just like Nehemiah had it. And Lord, for everyone who is not married, worshiping today, we, we pick out one of our married friends and we pray for their marriage right now. Would you just do that? Pray for your own marriage and yourself as a husband and wife. And if you were unmarried, please pray for another marriage in these few moments here quietly. Jesus' name, amen.